Alrighty, everyone. Welcome to BeelerCast. Uh, I'm Rob Beeler. I'm your host. And one change since our last podcast is we've temporarily abandoned the late night talk show approach. And and that's because, uh, you know, my my conspirator, my co-conspirator, the machine went off and got himself a job that actually keeps him keeps him busy. And, uh, you know, back in the days when he was not gainfully employed, it was kind of fun to have that. But it's not like I'm all by my lonesome. Uh, in fact, I've got a great guest today. I've got uh, Judy Shapiro. Um, I know Judy and been following Judy for some time because she writes quite provocative articles on the Trust Web Times. But Judy, you've done a lot more than that and you're doing a lot more than just that. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and as well as what your current focus is? Yes, thank you. And, and thank you for, for having me. I'm very grateful. Um, I started the ad, ad agency side. So I was at an ad agency for a dozen years, um, working on Procter and Gillette and AT&T. Um, and then in the early 90s, the big companies realized they needed marketing departments. They really didn't have any. They really relied on their agencies. So I was one of those first waves that went client side. That was a big deal. It was a big uh you know, big, big deal at the time. Um, and I landed at AT&T. Um, I was on first AT&T consumer product. So I had the privilege of launching the first digital ad for the record. It was an AT&T ad for consumer products. So that's how far back I go. Um, when all my colleagues were like, oh no, that'll never go. I said, I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but what the hell. Um, and it was AT&T, we had enough money to experiment. So I really wasn't fussing it. Um, then I went to, uh, uh, we, we launched things like cordless phones. I don't think everybody knows what it is even. Pagers. <laughs> um, these were disruptive technologies in their day. Let, let's not, let's not uh, kid ourselves. Um, and then I had the great privilege of joining Lucent Technologies, which was a spinoff of AT&T. Um, that was basically creating the internet. So the internet that we're used to was being built while I was at Bell Labs, uh, listening to Bell Labs. It was crazy exciting times. Well, if I could just interject there real quick, the location I'm in right now is the Bell Labs location in Homedale, New Jersey, oh. which has been converted to like a WeWorks and a whole office space or whatever. So uh, I, I saw that you'd worked there and I'm like, or worked in, for the company. I'm like, I'm actually yeah, really I, I was in the main Bell Labs building. So my office was right under the laser um, laboratory, literally. So it was a sixth floor <laughs> building. Um, it was an old fashioned building. There was no ladies rooms, seriously. They had to convert uh, broom closets into ladies room. And if you didn't know where, if you were in a new area and you didn't know where there was a ladies room, you could walk around for 30 minutes. Nobody, no guy knew. Um, but, but the reason the Bell Labs experience is important, not just because it was fun and it was, the vision of what the internet was, supposed to be is mm -hmm. what was ingrained in my heart. I had a very clear vision, uh, Timber Nice Lee. I mean, we were talking about these issues as they were appearing. Um, and so uh, a Bell Labs uh, guy came up with something called the anonymizer. Have you heard of it? No. And the reason you haven't heard of it is because nobody understood why anybody would need privacy. So, wow. it, it, you know, I helped name it, launch it. And it was like, no, nobody cares. Don't worry about it. And, and so they just let it go. Um, and so the vision of what the internet was supposed to be is what was burnt into my heart. And, and I like to say a lot of the reason why I started what I'm, I'm doing now, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, is because where we are and where we were are so obvious to me. 
there aren't that many people that have a sense of where it was and where it is. And so that contrast truly, truly bothered me. Um, it was just a dream almost attained and then a dream lost. I, I think I think if a lot of people really sat and thought about it of like, especially those of us in the in the ad tech industry, if we yeah. sat in for a moment said if we started with the regulations and the direction the regulations are going now, and then did the internet, where would, how would we do how would we react? Yeah. And it wouldn't be about trying to claw and keep everything the way that it is today. It, that wouldn't be even really be on the table, right? But so to your part, yeah, what a almost a missed opportunity, right? Uh, to um, <laughs> to set in the right direction. I, you know, I, I feel bad. I see. I'm reading the look on your face. I feel bad. Well, it it, um, it pains me, and and because what people forget, and what is so critical, is the reason the surveillance economy is has a fracture a fracture line. Internet was built as a content serving engine. It was never built to serve up people. And the industry pivoted to people because it was easier to gain. That's why it happened. You can't create more good sites to place ads that are topic-based. You, you can make up an impression. Who knows what an impression is? I don't even know what an impression is. Um, and so it was so much easier to gain because you couldn't easily scale content. But you could scale impressions and you know uh, cookies and all of the rest. So internet is a content-serving engine. And so much of what went wrong was when we forgot that DNA. When that DNA got lost, it left a wide gap for a lot of the flaws and vulnerabilities that we see today in, in ad tech materialize. So Judy, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure we pause for a second for you to explain what you're up to today because I have a feeling if we start going down this path, <laughs> we're not coming back. We're just gonna keep going because this, this is fascinating kind of hear your perspective. And I didn't, again, even walking into this call, I didn't even know about um, that background. And so that's that's amazing. So why do you talk about <laughs> what you do today? You bet, you bet, for two, for, for two minutes. So about 10 years ago, um, again, I am a, a marketer at heart. I've done acquisition, direct marketing. I'm used to one simple thing. You spend money, something happens or it doesn't, and you, and you move on. Um, internet broke that relationship, right? I could see how many impressions I bought. I could see how much a cost per thousand might be. I could even see click rates. But it was a hard line between that and what was driving results. And so it became very frustrating to me. And I was used to, again, pre-internet, you know, we bought sailing magazine for people who loved sailing. I wasn't worrying about the demographics. So demographics to me was okay, nice, but who cares? And even more so in B2B. So I'd get these big persona documents. I said, that's lovely. I can't target to any of that to none of that, it's useless. But the idea of being able to target based on topics, not people, got lost in the internet shuffle. So I just got angry and then terrified that I'd be out of a job because I didn't know how to do my job. I mean, both things together, terror and anger are very powerful motivators and I became angry. I had no intention, no vision of me being a CEO or a founder or, or any of this. I'm like, this is fucked up, that's it. That, that's as far as I got. Um, I was blessed, and this is where age, and for any of you that are listening to this or will be listening to this, age in business matters because it, it helps you avoid mistakes. It doesn't tell you what to do, but it tells you what not to do. And, and so for me, I just didn't know how to do my job. And as I learned, more, the more I learned, the more depressed I became. So today we are an acquisition and performance technology firm 
a technology firm based on our own class of topic data. So we have we have our own class of topic data. It's 100% private because I track nobody. I have I don't even worry about the cookies and the universal IDs. I don't worry about any of that. I just have to know what topics a brand needs to invest in before they invest. That's our topic intelligence. I need to be able to buy very specifically topics. So we have a publisher side. And then you need to do attribution based on topics, not based on, oh, they showed up on an, uh, they showed up because of it. Whoever they is convert. So this is so much simpler. We called it engage something as a company because it was just too hard. I couldn't figure it out. I'm, I'm doing this a little bit. Well, that's, that's amazing. And, and again, it's amazing because just how much context has become really the conversation of of today in terms of where we go without third party cookies. And again, there's this almost again resistance to the idea because of just the way things have worked for for some time. So, uh, so that's awesome, and that, and that you're doing that. And again, you're also the editor in chief of of um, you know Trusted Web Times. So you and uh, Mark Goldberg, I, he's a he's a good close friend. Um, write these pretty provocative pieces. Uh, and one of the things that really kind of drew me, I was like, okay, I definitely have to book Judy now, um, <laughs> is, you, is you had this thing about the collapse of the surveillance economy. And I'd love for you to kind of elaborate what your point is, where you're going with that, and, and the fact that it isn't just about ad tech, it's, it's the overall picture. Correct, correct. Um, yeah, most of those articles I get to write, so, so I used to publish for AdAge a lot. Uh, I wrote a lot for AdAge. They kind of stopped wanting to publish me when I was dinging their advertisers. So it didn't help them that I was saying, no, this is a bad idea. I wrote a very controversial article right about two years ago when Google was doing their um, uh, their flock, their their uh, ID thing. And I said, this is fucked up. I mean, I, I, I minced no words. This is why I object and you should too. I was like, yeah, AdAge was not happy uh, with me at all. But but let's, let's talk about the surveillance because it's a moral imperative of our day, in my opinion. It's, it's not just about ad tech. So again, if you go back 25 years before most of this, we were trying to track people. We were trying to figure out what topics were the right mindset for an audience. If you loved sailing or, or fishing or crocheting, it didn't matter. We were trying to find those contextually useful publications and outlets to run media. And frankly, that worked great. It worked great. Um, flash forward to internet and it became clear that it was really difficult to get contextual technologies into the buying stream. Programmatic is a muscle machine. It has zero nuance. So there are only two types of doing contextual today, just two. Um, and, and they're well understood. One is keyword, keyword uh, matching, which is the keywords on the page. Um, and the other is interest classification. So let's unpack that for a minute. The problem with keywords, keywords isn't a topic. So the example I love to use, we had a client that came to us because they had this problem. They, they were a bank, financial institution, but their ads kept showing up on the West Bank content because it happened to have been when there was a lot of controversy. And they're like, how does that happen? I said, I'll tell you how this is happening. And then the keyword folks would say to me, uh, the, the data folks would say, yeah, but you could do block words, you know, words that you don't want. The problem is a keyword isn't easy to think of as in a block terms. So you have to think of all the variations. How, how is the human brain supposed to do that? And, and that's a topic that I've, I've talked about before of 
there's no doubt in my mind that there's some meeting that happens between an agency and a brand where they have to kind of come up with those keywords. And the keyword list, whoever's responsible for the block list is the lowest in the organization Wait. it could possibly go because no one's going to make their career. I got a block list um, last year um, and death of a salesman was really? one of the was one of the phrases. Now think about it. They had a thousand words. Right. right. And death of a salesman somehow like to me, I sit there and I, I, I to me again, I think you've, you've mentioned you have a background with history. Someday I'd love to be the archaeologist that goes through block lists and try to figure out exactly <laughs> what someone was thinking when they block some of these terms. That's right? Like, That's a new business. Right. You should pick that up. There's a new business. There it is. Uh, there it is. Well, so again, I'm a practical woman. I'm just trying to make a living. Seriously. I'm not trying to, I didn't think I was trying to change the world. I am now, but I didn't think at the time I was. I'm like, okay, this is insane. How, you know, keywords don't do it. So then the other way is what they call interest classification. So when you go into the DSP, you'll see, you know, mega categories and then there are subcategories. So I was speaking to the, now again, imagine me trying to sell to a 28 year old media director. Just, just picture that in your head for a minute, right? They assume I don't know anything and they are just the coolest kids on the block. I'm like, okay, I, I get why you think that, right? So I'm sitting there in this pitch and the guy is like this, like, you know, okay, bring it lady. Like it was like one of those, unspoken right. challenges right and i'm trying to explain why interest classifications is is a problem because they tend to be very broad he said i don't understand i could do anything i need in those interest i said okay here's a, here's a challenge tell me and i'll go into your dsp my dsp i had to build my own dsp just how crazy this got right um i said go ahead you tell me how you would buy uh ads on pages talking about father's day gifts go just that and he's like, oh, of course I could do it. I said, go ahead, let's see it. I'm like, literally, let's see it. And because when you go into, let's say, families and there's, you know, there's a whole list. I promise you, Father's Day gifts aren't in there. Or a newer category. I had another, um, an older media director, but he was so set in his way, I couldn't really change his mind. Uh, NFTs. Tell me, where is that going to be on interest classifications? Tell me. Yeah, you'll get technology. You'll, you'll get maybe blockchain. I don't even know if that's in the list, but you ain't getting NFTs. You, you right. get there, right? Right. So that was the gap. So it's like, yeah, keywords are, are uh, again, it's blunt instruments. I love, I love that kind of phrasing in terms of, of what that is. So in terms of, so that's, that's again, kind of where you're focused and, and, and again, why you're kind of on this mission. I love this. <laughs> like you kind of, you didn't mean to change the world, but now you're about that. Um, the surveillance economy concept, one of the things I wanted to kind of read to you, you know, read that I think you have on your website or is in that article. Uh, we envision a transparent advertising ecosystem where all the stakeholders can have their needs served while being protected from the untrustworthy marketing ecosystem that exists. Can you like elaborate on that? Sure. Such a great sure. statement. So, so let's, let's remind ourselves the surveillance economy started innocent. I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I'm just going to go there. Right. And what's the underlying monetization of the surveillance economy, right? So I'm a highly valuable prospect for brand X, right? Whatever brand X is. I read the Wall Street Journal, I read the New Yorker, and a brand can buy advertising to target me on those publications. But the underlying monetization of the surveillance economy is they could track me so that when I'm on cheap and cheerful, I love cats, as an example, which is, you know, $2 a CPM versus $200 a CPM, they could target me too. That's the underlying 
part of it. And as it became more sophisticated and the money was so good, it became more insidious, more um, privacy busting, and ultimately served advertisers even worse. Because in order for them to target my cookie, however you want to define it, on cheapandcheerful.com, right, they still had to spend oodles of money on ad tech stuff, the data stuff, the DSP stuff, the privacy stuff. You know, I love Mark, you know, even his traffic verification stuff. So on the one hand, they're paying, you know, brands were paying a lot less to quote reach me instead of the New York Times, but they were actually paying more. And the entire ecosystem was monetizing the surveillance economy. So nobody had an interest in saying, wait a minute, everyone, you know, is this isn't good. Advertisers are spending more and getting less. Yeah. Because, yeah. Right. And, the, and so, the publisher side, too. Go ahead, please. Yeah. No. And the publisher side is the one that took the beating. They really took a beating. And that is, by some estimates today, a, a, a publication gets maybe 40 cents on the dollar for their product. Some argue 60. It's still horrific. Would you accept that? Would you no. accept that if you worked hard, you'd only get 40 or 50 percent of that value? Well, not only that, but I can't deliver. So someone's spending a dollar, they're not getting a dollar's worth, right? So to your point, it, again, it is the brands and the publishers that, that kind of lose in this equation with, with all of that technology in yeah. there. Um, for yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and again, I think, you know, some of this really kind of comes down to, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the insidious piece of this. I think the one thing that, see, to me, I'm a kind of a champion with the idea that like being a publisher should mm -hmm. be a good business to be in, right? If yes. I'm going to, to spend time and effort to create content and put it out it there. It should be rewarded. It should be that's rewarded. obvious. That's the underlying, that's my thing to try to champion, right? So again, yeah. you and I are gonna meet some, hopefully in the middle at some point <laughs> and have this all kind of worked out, right? And the, and the thing about the misalignment of incentives of everything in between to, to just really kind of our, as an industry, we allow a lot of charlatans into the mix yeah, and we yeah. don't really call it out. So I think that's one of the things why, like I look at your work, uh, non-Denise work, you know, mm -hmm. I, I sit there and I, I champion it, right? Like I, I completely am on board. The toughest part, quite honestly, is that, and again, I think you actually kind of learned this with your, your ad age story is when you start calling people out though, Oh yeah. Then, then you start to kind of lose your ability to do mm -hmm. what you do. And I think that that's where a lot of people are stuck. And that's I why I, I started the Trust Web Times. So I didn't have to censor. I'm on the board of Check My Ads. Great organization. But, but let's carry on with the surveillance has spawned about five or six different mini economies. And that's where the frustration happens. There's an entire, I'll say gray market. I won't call it black market of data. Right? You've got the mega data stores. You've got the niche data stores. You've got the B2Bs. Tell me how they get that data. They get it. There's no provenance. You have no idea. None. So now everybody's like, oh, let them control their data. I said, too late. That horse has left the data barn a very <laughs> long time ago. That data is now. You can't un, you know, can't put that data toothpaste back in the tube. So that's one mega economy. They have no interest, none, in uh dismantling the surveillance. That is a black swan event for them. So if all of a sudden surveillance, the surveillance economy went away, they would have no pivot. Seriously, no pivot. Number two is where uh, uh, Check My Ads and Indeed and Claire spend a lot of their time, 
which is the misinformation economy. You and I, if we were disreputable people, could for maybe about 20,000 total, become a publisher. And the cheap and cheerful, most engaging content we can create is fake news, false news, hate news. That's what Facebook taught us. That's what gets a reaction. And there are publishers that do just that. I won't name names here because, again, I want to have a weekend at least. Um, but that's <laughs> what they do. And they will go after you aggressively. I mean, poor Nandita, she's had some real scary situations going on by outing some of these more you know, very disreputable publishers. So because it's a surveillance economy, they can create the shock content, get a huge inflow of traffic, then start track, you know, then start um, tracking them and reselling and monetizing them. It's an insidious business. She is taking on that, that work to her credit. It's, it's almost like a sliver and she's really trying to expose the murky ad supply chain which became economy number two, that murky is up by design. I used to post in Reddit saying, is nobody else bothered by how murky it is? Oh, I was called a peasant. I, I was called a lot of bad names. And you could tell who's insulting you, which country they came from by how they insult you. So the right. one that called me peasant was clearly in the Soviet Union area. But basically they were saying, quote, the market has spoken, the market's buying this. So who are you to say is wrong? Right. So was so first of all, before I, I dive into that piece, was there another economy piece that oh, you wanted so, to hit? Yeah. On? So the third economy is what I, I kind of call the affiliate resale model, right? So there's a very big chunk of, of users uh, of companies that are in the affiliate business, a very healthy business and a very appropriate business. But because of how they do it, they then resell their customers to everybody. So I might have gone on to business.com. I'm not saying they're doing this at all, but business.com has a lot of content about CRM systems, as an example, right? They sell those leads back to the in, into the companies, and that's totally cool because I expressed interest in that. But then those kinds of affiliate companies sell that data and the, the buying profile with the world, and they sell it as though it's their asset to sell. And they think of it as their asset. And so... Yes. And there are, there's a couple things, right? So, so one, one part of it that I struggle with again, from the, from yeah. the publisher side yeah, is when it comes to the conversation with the consumer yeah, saying I'm the most, and again, I've said this and it's funny, I don't get quite the response. I'm not articulating it quite well, but for me to yeah. sit there and say, like, if I were to converse with my consumer, someone comes to my website and say, yeah. I am the most respectful publisher out there related to your data. I'm not sure that gets me any additional traffic. It doesn't necessarily like maybe at some point it does, but it's almost like to your point, like these other, these other websites do all of this stuff and we are all lumped in together. And it's almost like it's hard it to, is. to, I mean, well, it's all, you know, the other analogy I use, it's like, we've all had candy for dinner for a long time yeah, 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 and it's yeah, time yeah, to eat yeah. broccoli and everyone and it's like uh, still getting served candy <laughs> so why would i ever start to eat healthy until someone says i'm about to die right like that's the part yeah. that i feel about with this industry that's really hard to break and so as you think through this ecosystem and again i i will say that in your tweets and your writing 
you've talked about the VC companies, you've talked about big tech, you've talked about oh, agencies. I'm hard you've on talked VCs. About agencies. You're hard on VCs. So yeah, money flowing in on all this stuff. I mean, again, Judy, where, where might we start in terms yeah. of starting to get and build some of this transparency and get rid of kind of the surveillance economy? Where, where it might be some areas to right. focus our energies? So, so that is the trust web, which is, is launching soon, is meant to be a community of companies. It's not meant to be about one company um, because we have to you know, service the three big stakeholders, advertisers, publishers, and consumers or, or customers. They all have to be well-served. They all have, and today, all of them are badly served. Consumers don't care if you're more respectful of their data because they, they've taken a passive approach. They have no control over one what happens to them in web, website number one and this whole GDPR opt-in bullshit. Sorry, I don't know if that, that's how coaches <laughs> say, but it's so maddening because it's useless. I mean, almost useless, I, I won't say. So. And so they're used to a very passive approach. You can tell me anything you want. I can't verify it anyway, so why should I believe you? So for a consumer, it is all lumped in with the possible exception of NPR and, and I'll say, you know, the not-for-profit. Um, for a publisher, it's excruciatingly difficult because you could be killing yourself to do the right thing and it, and, and it costs you money to do it and it has no market value, I'm sorry to say. Right. Let's, let's move to the advertisers. The advertisers have been, and I wish I was as clever as the ad tech folks were because they've sold a bill of goods. They've sold you have to track cookies. They've sold that clicks are useful. They're not. They've, they've sold a whole bunch of metrics that is noise to me. I'm an old fashioned girl. I spend a hundred thousand dollars campaign. How do I know what that campaign did? I don't really care all that much about how much my CPMs were. But because there's no easy way to get from A to Z, they put in metrics to make you feel good. Oh, look, we got this. And and, and even impressions makes me crazy because what a good agency does is they blend high CPMs to have some quality and then garbage just so it evens out. So to the client, oh, look how good our CDM is. And I'm like, oh. So then you'll end up with publishers have no incentive to do better because that one publisher is part of a whole list. So step number one to, to collapsing the surveillance economy, there is some value to it. I, I'm not saying it should go flatline. I am saying it needs to be brought down to size. Again, if you have a woman's product or a product specifically for babies, um, there is some value. There really is. Put aside the creepy factor, right? Let's just put that aside for a minute. I, I, could, I could make a case for it. But in most cases, in most cases, um, if, if we, we have a structure where we work with publishers, so we put a bit of code out so we could actually read the context. Our technology innovation was being able to read the context of a page, not keywords, not general classifications. Um, a good example is drones. We are talking about drones. We're not talking about robot drones in a factory. We're talking about drones that fly. That level of contextual intelligence. And so when we work with publishers, we're able to bring them programmatic media based on that level of contextuality. That's a crazy heavy lift. Let's, let's think about this. I, I have to create my own DSP to get there. That's A, <laughs> all right? Because again, if you go to the trade desk or any of the big, they don't have a topic data layer. They have Grapeshot, which is a keyword layer or interest classifications, that's it. But that doesn't do it. So we're creating a trust web network of publishers. 
And it's really about being able to do buys where you see the topics that you should be interested in. So for a brand, let's, let's go through the brand experience. We tell you in advance what topics you should be focused on. You don't have to guess anymore. The guessing game is very expensive. If you're a big brand, sure. Like when I was at AT&T, I could be wrong. Who knew? Nobody cared. Um, but if you're a mid-sized brand, and we really were built for mid-sized brands, you have to know which topics are worth your investment before you invest. So we give you a conversion score and the addressable universe before a penny is spent. It's a simple data layer called topic intelligence. Once you have that data, then that feeds into buying, it feeds into attribution. And so we don't, since we're not tracking anyone, it becomes, if you have a need where you have a very strong demographic, then keep doing what you're doing. It's like Apple and PECs. Remember when they first came out? I bet you do yeah. remember, most don't, <laughs> right? Um, we're just an alternative. I want to be that girl with the hammer. Remember that commercial? Where she's <laughs> Absolutely. Running down? Yeah, I'm a, I feel like now I'm the girl with the hammer, except I'm older, not quite so svelte, and I got to get a bigger hammer. Um, but, but that level of, there could be two systems. What pisses me off is that it seems to be a one flavor, one car color, which is surveillance. And that's not the case. But so what do you... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, no, no. Go. So how do you how do you feel about um, Google's uh, topics concept? <laughs> okay, I'm going to say something that any living person would say she has lost her mind, and maybe I have. You know, after a while in startup world, you kind of do have to go a little crazy, otherwise you just can't keep it up. We've been working on this for five years. I know what they're doing. We're ahead of them. <laughs> Now, mm -hmm. I know how absurd that sounds. I do. So basically what they're doing is they're souping up their interest classifications, which exists, and just souping it up, right? Um, so when, when the, uh, what does it call the flock? What, what does it stand for? Flock. Federated, federated Learning. something. Yeah. Yep. The reason I was so incensed is they were going to create these cohort groups of, of, of affinity, you know, universes of people. And everybody was like, oh, this is great, except... Google has to be tracking the individual to create the groups. So basically it was, Google was saying to everybody else, you can't track, we'll do it for you and just trust us, right? So they got, finally the, the message got out, right? I was one of the first that said, this is messed up. We cannot accept this, right? But eventually people got there, so they had to backtrack, they had no choice. It was so flagrantly um, um, bad for everybody but Google. I mean, it was just so obvious. So then they retreated back to, and that's why PPC works. And I love PPC. PPC is one of our killer applications. It's topic-based. Tell me, what's the targeting in PPC? There isn't any. Maybe some geo, maybe, and then some right. of their defaults, but it's topic-based. It's topic-based. That's it. So they're, they're going to try and revert to applying some of that topic data from PPC into this topic targeting. But they're well, under so, lot. Yeah. So, I mean, so from one perspective... It, it yeah. like my my response on it would be is that they're essentially putting forward an idea and again like you could you could kind of say and I, I you know I'm not actually disputing that you could be ahead of them on this because I and listen I you know just rolling it back I remember and I wish I could re I actually I wish I could remember his name but I, I dealt yeah. with a linguist I once had a linguist as a keynote oh. who talked about semantic you know, oh, semantics, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. And starting to dive into this. So it's a concept that sat around, but like to your point, like no one's truly activated it. They might be essentially helping. And again, the fact is that there will be expertise level mm -hmm. at this that I think will make, will make sense because I think that there is understanding a topic and then there's understanding a topic, which 
by the way, from a publisher perspective is really key, right? Yes. So again, I, I do a lot of, um, you know, I, I head up ad ops at, at golf.com and you could say golf and I'm going like, okay, but what are, what are we talking about here? Cause there's types of golfers, there's types of interest, you know, there's layers that I can sit there and dive into that yeah, becomes yeah. my proposition. Right. And, and to your point, like for me to change the language away from my users to my environment, to what I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do that yeah. all day. Let's, let's yeah. do that. Right. From an advertiser perspective who goes, Hey, maybe I'm interested in financial advisors and someone wants to go, well, financial advisors, golf. Right. Sure. I, I mean, like, again, like I, prove it right, prove it wrong. I don't, but if that becomes something where you sit there and I, so it, it feels like the, the, like part of this is that there might be a simpler world of understanding around this that is on the other side of this mountain. And the, the fact is, is we have to be very careful about everyone that's trying to pull us from getting to the other side. Yeah. Right. When you think of publishers and, and again, anger is a very strong motivator, at least it was for me. You can't monetize your audience or your content well, the way it is today, because you're getting compressed into a bit stream within the programmatic and, you know, blah, 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 you know this. So try and imagine a world that is automated direct buying. And, and it's a little bit, uh, imagine an RDSP, oh, oh, right? You're an advertiser, let's role play for me. You're an advertiser. You know the topics you need to focus on. You know it, I've told you this already, right? So you have your data layer, that's your targeting data layer. Now all I have to do is figure out where these topics are being talked about. It's not, it's not the biggest challenge in the world. Um, the reason Google can't get there as officially is because I could do a contextual analysis. Google basically scrapes the world. You can't apply, I mean, I guess Google could if it wanted to, but the amount of resources to apply this contextual layer onto how they scrape today, because now they do what calls uh, sampling. Right. So people think, oh, they're reading my site. They're not reading your site. They're reading key pages, maybe your site map, you know. And so I, I'm having argument upon argument with you know folks that are doing SEO. I said, think of yourself as a translator between what you the site owner wants the Google to know and what Google sees. That's your job. Your job isn't about meta tags. And, and so it becomes very difficult for Google to add a quality layer of contextuality especially for B2B, because Google has no idea what a stretch network is. They think it's clothing. Seriously, how would they know? Um, and that's where this opportunity gap is, where publishers, I think, can make a lot more money. Because as an advertiser, I don't need to have a cheap CPM and a hundred million impressions. I need a hundred thousand of the people that care about what I sell. So I am anti-scale in the ad tech sense, I am pro scale in the acquisition sense, if that makes wow. any sense. It does. It does really well, well put. I like that. So, um, oh, Judy, I, again, we're going to have to do a part two at some point, um, especially <laughs> because I got a feeling that this, this year is going to bring more things for you and I to, to talk about. Um, I feel like, you know, when I, when I mentioned the VCs that, that struck a bell, you could, I could physically kind of see you reacting. Let's let's have it. Let's 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 hear. All right. What let's have just get out say. of my system, and then exactly. I will. Right. Then you're going to enjoy the rest of your weekend because you'll get yeah, it, you've oh, got it out of your system. And, and, and again, a lot of it has to do with the cultural context, right? 
So think back five years though. So I haven't talked to a VC in about three, four years. I refuse to put myself through it anymore. And I'll tell you why. So the entire ad tech spun on scale and data, right? Now data, totally there. But because my data was orphaned for the programmatic world. So if you think there's no this level of topic data available as a field in, buy, in, in the buying engines. So I'm a customer of the trade desk. I have my, you know, uh, sustainability in, uh, in farming is my topic. You can't get there. You can't get there buying that way the trade desk and the exchanges don't have that level of, of specificity either, right? So my data was kind of orphaned. I couldn't really be baked into the existing ecosystem. Um, and so I went out for VCs. My first, I'm trying to think my first or my last, my, I'll give you my last heartbreak. My first, my last heartbreak was the following. I had finally got a deal of 750, a fortune. I mean, a fortune today, a fortune then. And we're doing the due diligence at the deal at the table, right? So we had a deal sheet. We were just doing the final and we were bickering about costs, right? So they wanted to be fully automated, fully SaaS. I said, that's just not practical. Marketing's still a human activity and you have to have some human interaction. You just cannot do it. No, it has to be. Fully. I said, I'm telling you, you can't do it that way, particularly in acquisition. And the guy looked at me, he, he, it was two, two, two guys um, with genuine kindness in his eyes. He wasn't trying to be mean. He said to me, now again, I'm a marketer. He said to me, Judy, you're really just too invested in client outcomes. <laughs> this is what he said to me. I, 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 I I, 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 it actually broke me for about four months. For four months, I was so depressed. So obviously I had to call off the deal. Um, you can imagine the pressure from some of our other investors. You know, you can imagine the pressure was just take the right. fucking deal and be done with it. And I said, I can't, I can't do it. I know what's going to happen, right? Um, but leading up to that, I had one VC, big VC. <laughs> oh God, this was horrible. Um, the whole, the whole uh, meeting was 18 minutes. And here's how it went. Here's that. A dude my age, let me be clear. And it was a warm intro. It wasn't like just cold calling. Do you want to like, right? It was a warm intro. My age. He puts his feet up on the desk and he says, so have you always had your gray hair? I swear to God, that's how we started. Oh. So I'm thinking this is some mind trick. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. Right. And it got worse. He kept saying things like men can get away with gray hair, but the women, gee, I, I, I was just like, right. So that was a full 10 minutes of conversation. Then I'm finally trying to pivot, kind of get my wits about me and try and pivot back because I was ready to slap him, but I didn't. Um, and with maybe two minutes into what we do, what we're trying to do, which is basically topic-based, you know, ad tech stack, uh, others have tried, it'll never work. He threw us uh, out basically in eight, uh, after 18 minutes. I threw out, we, we, you know, obviously we got up and said, thank you very much for your time, but 18 minutes. Um, unbelievable. Unbe it was okay, unbelievable. So it was well, I, those were my my direct experiences which is why i said this is the blessing of being older i had champions and friends at places that could help me so while i couldn't get vc money you know i was able to get friends of mine that became customers um it still didn't make the vcs happy i still didn't get funding because they're like well have you proven i'm like i have paying customers what else do you want me to it didn't matter it just didn't matter um and so we really and then I took a hard look at why they were doing what they were doing. I mean, it wasn't personal and it wasn't just the ageism and the misogyny. It wasn't just that. It, it was some of it, but that really isn't what drove it. What really drove it is there was no 
innovation around a different business model. They were used to, so remember the big VCs were trained like I was in the 1990s at software companies, like the Microsofts, like the software engineering. And that was purely SaaS. You built a platform and customers paid you $10,000 a month reliably to use your platform, whether it was network maintenance or whatever it was. That was their model. So when they translated a SaaS model that worked in software to edtech, you had engineers creating brilliant stuff, which VCs happily funded, but advertisers on the other side is what the hell? I don't know what this is. So they didn't even know how to scrutinize it. They didn't know how to vet it. They couldn't vet it. My AI is better than your AI. How do you test that? Right, how do you test right. that? Seriously, you can't. And so it became a bigger, blacker, murkier, dark box. Um, and VCs funded it because they didn't bother to do their homework. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Because I, I mean, that's the part, you know, for all of the existential threat. Again, so again, keep in mind where I'm starting from. I'm not trying to save ad tech. I am trying to, again, get to a spot where publishers have successful business models creating good content. If you create crap content, good luck. Do, do your thing. And, and believe me, there's a market for crap content. You know what, you know. Um, write arbitrage articles all you want. That's fine. But some people are putting in some serious time, whether it be journalism yes, or entertainment yes, or whatever. I agree. And I want that to be a good model and whether that be a combination of subscription to ads or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I always say is that like, we'll get to a point. It doesn't matter. Putting an ad on something is pretty darn easy and mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of it and people don't like ads. Okay. It's a good, it's a good model in some sense. Okay. My thought of it is though, is almost goes to back to our first point about think about what the internet could have been yeah. to the internet that it could be correct. And the, and the piece of that, of just the innovation that could be coming our way. If we do this right. In other words, to you, to your point, like, again, there's gotta be some weeding out of some of the noise and weeding out yeah. of some of yeah, the yeah, business yeah. models as, as they are to sit there and truly go and, and say, Hey, again, to, to a point where I can talk to a, to a person, I don't even want to use the word yeah. user in this case and go like, yeah, yeah. you want my content. People <laughs> aren't going to get used to it. They're just not going to stop getting content. They're going to want more content. That's, that's, that's yep. definitely the trend and make those selections. And that should be a good model. And so I can't wait to kind of start to see what we can do. The thing is though, is there's going to have to be a selective, there's going to have to be a little bit of a lobotomy right or, or somehow we're gonna have to cut out some memories of like the yeah. addiction that is third-party cookies you know well we well get, we here's what's helping us so, so there's a lot of there's you know for five years i was pushing against uh, you know that uphill battle and uh, it was exhausting but here's what's pushing behind us that will help one and don't underestimate sheer fatigue sheer exhaustion and it's not even just exhaustion about paying it's exhaustion that they can't figure out if it's doing them any good and mm -hmm. unhappily, they'll never be able to figure it out because it's just too darn complex. So as brands get more and more exhausted and frustrated, they're going to start that waiting process on their own. They are. They are. Um, I, I personally believe the first place to get majorly rehabilitated is programmatic media buying. It is unacceptable that a brand has no visibility mm -hmm. of where those ads run. They can try and get the data, A, Okay, are you going to look through 5,000 sites? Of course not. 
course not. Um, so a lot of the players count on that kind of obscurity. It, it, it's monetization through obscurity. But advertisers are going to get more freaked out and more exhausted that they're just going to do direct buys. So it, it's going to be a race between exhaustion and direct buys, which is why I'm a big believer in direct buys, by the way. The problem with direct buys is it's tediously difficult. So there's right. a great little company. I love this company called BriefBid. Um, it's it's basically a buying platform. I love this little company. It has nothing to do with, with, with the ES or what we're doing. And what they did basically is something very simple. I'm an advertiser. I could put in an RFP. And they send it out to the 20 or 30 or 50 publishers that fit that RFP. You can manage all your um, uh, insertion orders through that. So basically, it's one place where you could do direct buys. Today, if I want to do a direct buy with you, I have to call you. Hey, I want to do a direct buy. Right, you know, right. It's, it's just very tedious. Yep. Um, they, used to have, uh, uh, they used to have PMPs, direct deals in the back end. But, but also... It was it was difficult to execute, difficult to negotiate, difficult to get it done. So, A, I believe the first place that's going to start getting rehabilitated is in programmatic by this redefinition of scale. I'm optimistic about that. I want to be optimistic. But let me have this one. Let me have this one. I'm optimistic <laughs> about that one. I am. Um, I, I think I, well, that... I... I think you're. I think you're right. And again, think of the tech. You know, so uh, again, scale is always the the phrase that's kind of used. Um, and the fact is that with the technology, again, applied in the right directions. Correct. I mean, again, if we had spent the last ten years making direct easier to do than trying to make programmatic, you know, get the liquidity of programmatic to work to then undermine and uh, all that kind of stuff, we would be further along. And Yeah, and but there was a, no incentive. There was no financial incentive to do that because I'm DSPX. I can't arbitrage. I can arbitrage cheap and cheerful. I can't really arbitrage New York Times. So that's why they wanted to mush it all together so that the arbitrage margin was in there because yeah. uh, historically, I was at the agency that created the first media buying agency. It wasn't until about 15 years ago that media split off from, or maybe 20 now, I'm, I'm older than I think, but 20 years ago where media split off, it was called Media Edge, right? Um, and those companies set the standard of, you know, between eight to 15% media fee because it was very doable. You had one guy going down to a media room to figure out where to run the ads and the ads rad. It was not this whole tech stack. Today, nobody can make a living on eight to 10% of media commission and still pay your bills on the, right. on the ad tech side. So that's why arbitrage became a big deal to pad their profits. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't, where I get a little discouraged, I do, is how much money is able to support the current uh, the, the current ecosystem between, um, like I said, it has a, its place. It definitely, you're selling Coca-Cola, just blast your damn message out there, right? Just just get it out there. It really, there, there's no reason you need to do anything more complicated. But this, the, the programmatic has done a lot of damage to credibility with consumers because it did enable that cookie to be tracked when I went to hellokitty.com, when I was on boozallen.com. In other words, it's, 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 it feels creepy. And it's like, nobody's sitting there saying, oh my God, stop doing that. But it doesn't feel good. It just doesn't feel good on a human level, on a human yeah. level. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if there were, I will say there's, 
in my mind, if Chrome had pulled the, you know, pulled it and said, we're done, there is a piece of it of us being on the other side of this and trying to solve it. I, I fear for jobs and the wrong people winning. Like, again, in other words, yeah. it'd be great to, to do this in a, in a logical way. And keep in mind, like, you know, in, I work with a lot of people in a lot of organizations that are programmatically focused and whatever. And there are people who are working the problem. Those are my people. Oh yeah. My yeah, people yeah, yeah. are working Agreed. the problem. Um, but there is a piece there where it is very difficult to break what this is. And so, so Judy, what we're going to do is we are going to, we, we won't set a date yet, but I, we will, I will check in with you later in the year and <laughs> we're going to see, we're going to like, we're going to say, okay, so are we any closer to this, this vision that we have of this transparent ecosystem that starts to get there? Now, my guess is six months isn't going to be enough to, to see it, but hopefully, hopefully we start to see some of the the overall trends and some of these things started to go like it's starting to win out so let's 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 be hopeful okay so again like and it's I interesting. Think I, you have reason to be hopeful so let me again we're a tiny company tiny tiny like we're nobody seriously on the on the scheme of all the money right and in the past i'd have to explain about topic data i'd have to explain why it's different now my sales conversations are five minutes yeah um, right. so we're talking to the largest pr agencies as an example because they have to topic target all the time, but they have no mechanism to do so. So the idea of a topic-based ad tech staff, uh, stack that solves both privacy as well as getting better outcomes for advertisers, which is really my focus, that story is getting out there just because people are so, they were like me 10 years ago, they're angry now. I just yeah. needed for the world to get as angry as I was. So now everybody's <laughs> as angry as I was. So I just have to monetize that that level of, of I think you'll be surprised at how quickly, and it also depends on what Google does mm -hmm. it, with its topic targeting. But for me, topic targeting from Google was a gift because it gave credibility to what I've been friggin' saying for a long time. Right. Um, and I had at least one person, particularly, he's an engineering geek guy. He said, you won, Judy. It just in the subject line, I said, well, what are we talking about? He says, you were right. It is topics. Even Google agrees with you. And I thought that was very sweet because he was yeah, my nice. biggest my biggest objector, like he was like, Judy, no, he's he's from the Ukraine. Judy, it won't work. Judy, it, it, I don't see it. Um, so I want you to take heart in that. And I also want you to take heart that the quality publisher movement, I don't know what we call that, is gaining speed. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. Um, part of the work, because I've checked my ads, right? So it's just making more people aware of how dirty that programmatic bitstream is, right? And part of it is people are now realizing cost per thousand isn't my metric. Why I thought that that was something I should even know about. I don't even tell our clients what cost CPMs are. I don't tell them. If they ask me, I'll happily show them, but it's irrelevant to them. I haven't had one client ask me, not one, not one. Um, so take heart. The, the, I think the quality publisher syndicate is on the rise. I think yeah. there's a genuine realization that, you know, a magazine about golf that really understands what golf is about is going to be better about the top 10 hacks of golfing, as an example. Um, and where I get angry for you, for publishers, is that the bad sites, the arbitrage sites are are five to one. You're just outnumbered. So right. if I'm a little media buyer and I'm trying to come up with a quality list, it's really hard to do because you're outnumbered. You're outgunned. 
um, which is why we want to bring a leveling feel to it. So it will be a singular network. It's, it's not for us to monetize, we're just bringing it together so that there's a repository. They live up to our standards in terms of privacy and we could prove it. So there, there's a, a there may be a blockchain component to it. Don't don't yell at me. Um, only for <laughs> proof. Only for proof of we're doing right. what we say we do. Not not for the blockchain part of it. Um, and I do think consumers are getting angry enough that they want more control. And that's the uh, the last part. So for publishers is to get them better CPMs, better quality of advised because it's very transparent. For advertisers, better outcome because topics work better than demos. It's about intent. And for consumers, a different parent. Imagine I am shopping for a vacation. Send me ads. I'm up for them now. Imagine right. we tell which advertisers, hey, these folks have opted in, truly opted in, not this bullshit of I'm opting to Google so you can track me till I die. Right. That was what the old um, um, structure was. But they really want the information. And then, you know, creating a browser structure where when you come back from Hawaii, you turn that data profile off. So we think of it as a data profile for a topic occasion. I'm a grandmother, I'm actually two grandchildren. I want the grandmother stuff. I do, I want every bit <laughs> of it, but I don't want it when I'm in my business mode. So you have browsers for different occasions. That you right. can control. There's no way to control your data in an omnibus bucket, in my opinion. So I'm gonna build off that. So again, Judy, you and I are going to talk again uh, and record it, because again, I, I you know, um, in addition, we'll just talk because I really enjoy these conversations. I will say that next week, uh, my podcast is going to be about more about um, decentralized finance. There is a blockchain component to that. There's an NFT component of that. And I'm, I'm wanting to talk about that because I think, again, there's been more hype than other yeah. things in certain areas. So we're going to do that. And then I think the next week after that, if I've got it, is I've got someone again talking about how to, again, empower users and yes. their data and all these pieces. So in a way, I didn't intend for this to happen, Judy, but you've kind of become my kickoff conversation to help set what a, you know the next number of podcasts are. So I'm really thankful for that. And, um, and that's what the Trust Web is. It's not about us. It's about a way of thinking and doing business that's transparent and honorable. So there'll be many partner companies in the Trust Web. We, you know, Mark is one of them, uh, you know, at the uh, method media um yes. <laughs> which does verification i had to get the name right i sometimes confuse it um you know those of us that want to move the industry into a solid viable alternative i'm not looking to say blow up everything that is that's that's un, unrealistic and, and not good for advertisers it's just not good for anybody i am saying yes just like like apple talked about 1984 there is another viable approach and use both it's not one or the other it's time to use both Fantastic. Fantastic. Great, great note to end on, Judy. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, this has been fun. Thanks for your time, too. And yep. have a good weekend. And everyone enjoy this on, on every platform and follow us and we'll post it on Beeler Tech. So, uh, you know, make great. sure to follow along. So thanks, everyone. Bye.